0: Today I'd like to talk about the first three of the four noble truths. As most of you probably already know, that the four noble truths are the fundamentals of Buddhism. Some of you may have heard of this many, many times from elsewhere, or read in the books. And I too have read about it many times. In the past, when I first heard or read about this, I thought I understood, but actually I didn't. And even then, when I thought I understood, there was a feeling that maybe I didn't. (laughs) So uh, later on, I realized that, well, that's true, I didn't. (laughs) And maybe now I still don't, but I do see that I understood it quite differently now compared to in the past. The four noble truths are, first, Dukkha. And the Pali word dukkha is rather wide meaning. Usually it's translated as suffering. But suffering may be too strong a word for some people because when we use the word suffering, we mean very, really, really serious suffering, real misery. But the word dukkha here has a wide range of meaning. It includes very, very serious misery, very serious suffering, pain, from that to the very subtle tiny little bit of non happiness. Or some would say stress. And the second one is the origin of suffering. Where does it come from? Where does all our suffering, all our pain, all our stress, misery, where does it all come from? And the third one is the cessation of stress that it is possible for all this dukkha, all this suffering or unhappiness, is it possible there is such thing as the cessation of all this. Then the last one is the path leading to the cessation of dukkha. Dukkha is a Pali word, D-U-K-K-H-A, in Malay you have this word too. it says D-U-K-A, dukkha. Dengan dukkha citanya dimaklumkan you didn't get the job. So, Dukkha, Chitta here is both actually has an Indian origin. Dukkha is suffering or painful, then uh, Chitta is the mind. With a painful mind, I'd like to inform you you didn't get a job. Mm-hmm. So, now, I'm good, today I'm going to just talk about the three parts of the four. What is regarded as Dukkha in the text? There are three parts to it. The first part has to do with birth, old age, sickness and death. Uh, we are all born already, so that's, you're done with that, unless you're going to come again, next life. Then there is old age. We are doing that by the moment. It's happening. Sometimes it seems a bit faster. Especially, we see some people, somehow women in particular, when they come somewhere around 50 years old, you know, within one year, they age 10 years. Zoom. Maybe somewhere along... Now that age range. But that is something that happens from moment to moment. Then there is sickness. Sickness here does not necessarily mean very serious, painful sickness. It means some kind of physical discomfort, some kind of physical disorder. If you're having a fever, that's also a sickness. Yeah. And of course, death. Some say death's not that bad. It's dying, that's a problem. <laughs> but I think that's part of it. I think when you talk about death here, yeah, it includes that. Now, since we are born already, there's nothing we can do about that. It's going to happen anyway. It's part of life. But we can use these experiences as opportunity for growth, opportunity for understanding. We use this, the times of illnesses, and sometimes when you start to notice that you're getting old. Well, it's just reality showing you what's true. Otherwise we forget, and all of us are going to grow old and die. And there's nothing wrong about this. This is just the way it is. This is just nature. What becomes a real pain is the second part. The second part consists of three parts: There is being separate from what is loved, union with what is unloved and not getting what we want. separation from what is loved. that could be a person, it could be a something, it could be a place, it could be anything. And separation happens all the time. There has to be some kind of separation. It's just the nature of things, because things have to change. You can't be staying in one place all the time. You might like your particular house, your particular house, but maybe circumstances change, changes, and you find yourself having to move. Things change. You might like a particular car, but the car might break down, and you might get in an accident, with a car and you got to change, so that's normal. Then there is the union with what is unloved, what we don't like. Maybe even here, there are certain people that you don't like already. It's normal, and that person comes sit next to you, and then ah, suffering. <laughs> So that happens. And the third part of this, not getting what you want. Oh, that's suffering, isn't it? You want, you want, you want, you can't get. It. And still you want, you want, and you still can't get. And a lot of people think that, well, yeah, that's how it is, but so go and get what you want. Ah. Yeah, you can't get it. Try harder. Work harder. Earn more money. Make yourself look prettier or more handsome. Go for surgery. Maybe you get what you want. Mm-hmm. Try that. And maybe you do get. But how long can you maintain what you want? How long can you maintain what you get? So it's an endless struggle. If you think that is the way, there's no end to it. One time I was giving a talk on Buddhism and I was trying to make a guess of how many Buddhists are there in Malaysia. Statistically, it actually says that you know there's quite a number about well, maybe close to twenty percent of Malaysians are Buddhist, but I don't think that's correct. I think most people just label themselves as Buddhist when you know when they do surveys they so which religion do you belong? Well, I suppose I'm Chinese and I'm not Christian, I must be a Buddhist, and I don't want to be called a Taoist, I know some I don't want that so Buddhist. So I don't think there are many. If you want to say, could make a rough estimate, maybe it's just a very small fraction of that. I think maybe just a few hundred thousand Buddhists in Malaysia will be quite a big number. And the rest of them, well, they are materialists. Why? Because they believe in material things. They believe that material things will bring them happiness. And therefore, technically, they should be called materialists. They believe in that, right? That's material is their god, which includes money. So, if you're a materialist, of course, you would suffer a lot in this aspect, not getting what you want. Then, after that, the Buddha said, in short, in brief, the five aggregates of clinging are suffering. So long as we have this, there will be always be birth, old age, sickness and death. So long as we have these five aggregates, meaning the body, feelings, perception, mental formations and consciousness, never mind what those are if you don't understand yet, so long as we have this what constitute a person, it will have all those experiences mentioned before this. Birth, old age, illness, death, separation from what is love, union with what is unloved, and not getting what we want. So long as this thing is ongoing, so long these things will be there. So this is what the Buddha called Dukkha, or suffering. Now the Buddha did not leave it at that. And I'm not going to go to the second one, even, not yet. The Buddha gave an instruction for the first noble truth. And that instruction is that this is to be fully understood. And that is not what we normally do. It's not what people normally do. What do you do when you suffer? What do people normally do when they suffer? What do you experience? What do you notice yourself doing when you suffer a lot? Well, as I mentioned earlier, some people will just try harder. You're not getting what you want, you try harder. Hmm? Maybe you get it, maybe you don't. But either way, it is not peaceful. Isn't it? Or, when you are really unhappy about certain things, you might try to distract yourself with other things. Some people would turn on the TV, listen to some music or go surfing on the net. Some people would go for shopping therapy. That is if you have the money for it. Some people would go to India to look for themselves, thinking that they are in India. (laughs) Some people would do something, you know. Perhaps all these things are too mild, they look for something that's stronger. So they smoking doesn't work, take alcohol, or you go dance yourself crazy at a disco. Maybe somebody invites you to have something, and you take it, wow, this is what I want. Happiness. Instant happiness you may go for drugs and you may go for all sorts of stuff anything, anything to not experience the unhappiness that's what people normally do right? then some people work themselves to death Uh, some people can really bury themselves in work when they are unhappy they work harder then there are also others who when they are unhappy they go to sleep maybe that's the best of all you know at least it's not so destructive, you know. Just go to sleep. Maybe you wake up a little bit clearer, and uh, until of course you start to pile up all those thoughts again, and then say you're back to square one. Then there are also those who try very hard to figure out an answer, how to solve my problem. They think and think and think and think. Oh, the more they think, worse they get. Then they cannot sleep, cannot eat, and they fall into depression. Not that if you go shopping, you won't fall into depression. That's possible, too. But, I mean, there are those who really, really think and think, you know, wow, those are a bit scary. So, people generally find themselves doing all sorts of things. But generally, there are just two extremes. One is avoidance, and the other one is submission. Just get involved with it. Just go into it and say, oh... My life is so, so suffering. I'm useless. Why am I so unlucky? And on and on and on and on. And the other one is just ignore, ignore. Just keep on running away. Like, nothing, nothing wrong. I'm okay. So there are these two extremes. The middle path is not this and not that. Hmm? Not think half and go shopping half. You know, Not like that. Not half on half. middle path is not this and not that. It is acknowledging what is happening. When you're experiencing unhappiness, you have this third option of acknowledging what is happening right now. And acknowledging doesn't mean you go zoom into your unhappy thoughts and unhappy feelings. Acknowledging is just realize, noticing that these are just phenomena that are happening at this moment. It's uncomfortable, but it's happening. It's uncomfortable, but you're still okay. You're still able to see and notice what is happening without getting involved with it. That you can be having this unhappiness and you're alright. right. Just noticing what is happening. Not trying to fight with it, but just acknowledge it with gentleness, kindness. So that's the middle path. And this acknowledgement, it leads to understanding why we suffer. What is this suffering about? That is the whole purpose of the Buddhist path, is to understand. Now let me go to the second noble truth. The second noble truth is about the origin of suffering, or the origin of stress or unhappiness. Where does it come from? Where does all that come from? And the text says that it is craving. Tanha in Bali, and in Sanskrit is Krishna. And that may have a common root, a common origin with the English word thirst. In Chinese you have the word ke wang. Ke as in being thirsty. That is this wanting and wanting and wanting. And this is where all our suffering comes from. And this is the reason why we continue to take birth again and again and again. Because we want. Most people wouldn't want to die. So when they die, they want to live. So they get it. They come back. And so it goes on. So this one thing. Wanting what? Craving for what? Basically, three things craving for sensual pleasures. And when I say sensual pleasures, it's not just about just gross sensual pleasures, it can be anything, any kind of pleasure that can be derived from our senses. See something, and if you're happy, that's also a kind of sensual pleasure. Hear something, if you're happy, that's also a kind of sensual pleasure. And it not, doesn't mean this entertaining or recreational stuff. It could be you see somebody you like and you like to see that person again and again and again. That's also sensual pleasure. It could be anything. Because we want, and therefore it goes on. And there's no end to it. There's no end to one thing. We may be satisfied for a while. We may satisfy ourselves for a while. Okay, Then later on, the desire comes up again and you find yourself not having enough again. You feel thirsty again, so to speak. And you go for another round and it goes on and on and on. There's no end to that. You may notice that in within your life, sometimes it could seem like something that's very noble, that's something that is very, not just noble, something that you, know, you feel like you deserve. Like for example, wanting to be loved wanting to be acknowledged or simply wanting approval. But why do we want those things? Why do we want those things? Because when we get those things, we feel good, right? So ultimately it's about that, it's about feeling good. Why do we want to see something that we like? Because we feel good when it sees it. Why do you want to hear something? Because we feel good. Ultimately it's about feeling good. We are addicted to feeling good. When we don't feel good, we just want to get rid of it. No, this is not supposed to be happening. I want to feel good. So, I like to give the example of when you fall in love, and when that person is being with you, you feel good, right? Nice. Get to sit next to this person. Get to touch this person. Look at this person. Hear this person. Everything. Smell this person. So, if you're good. But maybe later on, this person changed. Maybe you had a fight. Now, do you feel good being with this person when that happens? You just had a serious fight. Or do you want this person to go away? You want to stay away from this person? Do you feel good when you sit next to a person and just had a fight with? don't feel good, right? But same person, right? Well, relatively, like, you know, same person, right? So, at first, when you're this person, you feel good. And then later, with this person, you don't feel good. So, question. Is it this person that you like? Or is the feel-good that you like? What is it that you like? Is it really the person? Think about it, yeah? Think about it. Do you really, really like this person? Or do you like how you feel when you are in contact with this person. Of course, it's the same as when you don't like a person. You really don't like this person, or you don't like how you feel when you are in contact with this person. So something to think about. Eh? Now the next two um, kind of craving has to do with existence, existence of power in Bali. First is craving for existence or I can just say craving to be, or some translate as craving for becoming, or craving for being. The other day I was speaking about craving of wanting to be somebody. That is a craving for being, to be something, to be someone, which is actually just a concept. But you crave to be that. And that can be anything. That could mean a status. That could mean being the owner of some object or being related to somebody. I'm somebody's so-and-so. That's some kind of being, right? Yeah. When you can tell people, I'm somebody so-and-so, and you feel good about it. <laughs> right. so that's some kind of being, which is because it's not something that's real, it's just... Completely a concept. Um, when you are sleeping, who are you? When you are not sleeping, you might compare, uh, so-and-so looks better than me. Uh, or you think I'm more intelligent than so-and-so. When you're sleeping, what's there? When you're not thinking, you know, knowing anything, what's happening? So this idea of being better or being not as good and things like that, it's just imagination. Which seems very real when you believe in it. But ultimately it's just an imagination. But we crave for this. We just love it. We just want to be something. So this is a kind of craving for being. Of course there's also the craving for being in the sense of not wanting to die. Therefore that's why people are so scared when they are going to die. They are afraid that they will just disappear no more. Or at least they are not able to be somebody anymore, being a father, being a wife, being a anything, even being a friend of a dog. You lose your identity. Sometimes some people, as say, practice meditation, and when they understand certain things, when the mind sees that it cannot hold on to a particular idea of who he is, and I'm not talking about a complete dropping of identity yet. When there's certain identity like I'm the person who is what when he finds himself not no longer able to hold on to this idea because the mind, the wisdom, just sees that hey, this is not true. He might even find himself shaking because there is a strong wanting to hold back. So there is some sort of a fight between the craving and or the clinging and wisdom. So at that time it can feel quite uncomfortable. But it's normal. When that happens, wisdom has actually won and it's just a matter of time. Don't worry about that. Just step back and just watch and let things be. Then there's also the craving for non-becoming or non-being. Craving to not exist. In the extreme form that means craving to die, craving to not want to be alive anymore. Craving to just disappear. When I was young I had this strong particular strong craving. I was just wondering, you know, if you know, every time you go to sleep you don't think about anything, you don't suffer, you don't feel anything. So but then you wake up again, then oh gosh, gotta go to school again. <laughs> And of course, other things—not just well, school as uh, having to go through certain unhappiness, unhappy experiences. So, at that time, I wished that you know, if possible for me to just go to sleep and don't get up, that would be just wonderful. Just solves all the problem. What problem? No problem. No, just don't get up. Finish. End of story. That was the craving then. But of course, it doesn't work that way uh. lah. <laughs> but that was such a craving. But every time I go to sleep, next morning, oh, didn't work. So then that little mind thought maybe try we'll to figure out a way of bit more proactive, you know. <laughs> so figure out a way of how you can just end a person's life. Another time I've already watched TV and I've already got some ideas already. Yeah, you know? or read newspaper. Although I don't know a lot of words, but I could read a little bit and ask my father what, my mother what this is and all that. So I got some ideas already. So one is jump from a high place. Well, the highest thing around that area was water tank. The tanky, you know, the tall tanky with a metal structure, that was the highest structure. My parents never allowed me to climb up there. It's possible to climb up there quite easily if you dare to. So climb up there, jump down. But then I thought, what if it didn't work, huh? But I jump and I break my leg and I didn't die, uh, that wouldn't be a good idea, right? So I gave up that idea, lot. So I thought of other ideas. I wasn't very smart. I mean, I wasn't very exposed to how a person might die, so I wasn't very creative. Then the other thing I thought of was electrical shock, because my father said that too. Be careful! Don't put your hand inside this thing. You know, be careful about touching these electrical things. You can get shocked and can die. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought about it. I was also a careful type. I really thought about it, and one day I asked my mother, "If I touch this wire, how long would it take before I die?" And she said, "Well, in a few seconds, five seconds. You no, know, is it painful, la? Yeah, painful, very painful. Oh. And sometimes people don't die. Ayaka." <laughs> So, uh, okay, that's not a very safe way, <laughs> you know. After so much pain, and don't die, what for? Uh? <laughs> so, I didn't want to live anymore, but I don't want to have to suffer a lot before that happens. So I gave up the idea. I, I don't know of any other way, okay, except for cutting the wrist. But that's just way too painful. No, thank you. <laughs> I suffer, but I don't want to suffer like that. You know, <laughs> that's too much painful for me. I haven't suffered that much yet. <laughs> so after figuring all these ways, which none of them appealed to me, so I gave up. At that time, the mind was so unhappy that it's this cloud of unhappiness. Whatever they are doing, whatever I go to, I just can't shake it off. I liked watching TV. At that time, I was a TV addict. My mom said, but watching TV didn't cheer me up. I went out to play, you know, go around doing whatever I like. Nothing cheered me up, didn't work. So somehow I don't know why, don't know how, I don't even remember. I just forgot about the whole thing. When I'm saying this thing, you start to feel unhappiness within you, I would like to invite you to just let it be. Don't avoid it, don't run away from it. If you have actually let go of something, you've truly, truly let go of something, not just forget it, you've truly done that then when you think about these things, you see them as just a story. Just a movie. Just a story. Not too unlike a story that you read in the books or in the papers or watching TV. It's like something that's uh, not you anymore. But you can remember this story. But if you find yourself having emotions coming up as you think about these things, it means that you're not done with it yet. You're not done the emotions are telling you that there's still something within that hasn't been worked out yet. You have more work to do. So it's not a bad thing if you are feeling that. It's just an indicator it's telling you. By that I don't mean don't jump into the story. Right? Just notice, just notice. Just ask yourself, what's this all about? Some of you, you might notice unhappiness and just can't remember. For some of you, you might have some flashbacks and that's enough. Just notice what is happening. That is what the practice is about. Just notice. Just step back and just see this phenomena going on, these feelings, its thoughts. Let it take its own course. Just like a storm, no matter how huge a storm, it ends. It may last for a long while, but it ends. It may be unpleasant, but it ends. Just like that. So just remember to see this as just a natural phenomena, just a passing phenomena, a transient phenomena, not permanent, and let it take its own course. Can I have a show of hands how many have thought of not wanting to leave anymore? One, two, three, okay. Not too many. One time I was giving a talk in Gampa to the students of Utah there. And when I mentioned this thing, and I asked, so how many of you have such thoughts before? And these people are 20-something, or around 20. More than half put up their hands. And when their hands shot up, people look around, you too? (laughs) They go, wow, yeah, we could hear them going, wow. So, wow. <laughs> so, it's not that uncommon. It's not that uncommon. Whenever you feel that, wow, it's like, my life is so, so unhappy. Um, it's not just yours. Unhappiness is just unhappiness. Whomever who has those conditions that you were in, and we're talking about internal and external conditions, would just naturally have that kind of experience. It's not something that's personal. Anyone who has that kind of mental pattern and that kind of external stimulus would have this interaction of factors and produce a similar result. So it's not personal. It's just the way things are when these conditions come together. But when there are these external conditions, but internal conditions are different, internal, what you call the spiritual faculties are stronger, then you will have a different experience. So there you have it, the second noble truth, that is, noble truth of the origin of suffering or unhappiness, and which is craving, craving for sensual pleasures, craving for being, craving for non-being. And here, too, the Buddha gave an instruction. And he says this second noble truth of the original craving is to be abandoned. The first one, suffering, is to be fully understood, and the second one is to be abandoned. Now, interesting thing for me is that the Buddha never said to abandon the suffering. If it's possible to just abandon suffering, throw it out, who would suffer? Suffering? Oh, okay, no problem, just throw it out. Finish. Our job is not to do this, and I don't see how that can be done. And when people try to do that, say, oh, I let go already, what they did was to suppress it. Try to ignore it, try to forget it. And they say, oh, I let go already. Hmm. That's not how suffering can end. So long as the cause is there, meaning craving. So long, suffering would come up again and again and again and again. Until we realize, until we understand where it's all coming from, and we give it up. When there is no cause, there is no result. That's it. My meditation teacher, to cut the story short, one time his meditation center was controlled by another monk who is was more senior than him. And he wanted things his way. He changed a lot of things, changed the rules, and he wanted to be the big teacher, although he doesn't know how to teach. People who come to practice there must come and see him first, mm-hmm. and he will tell them what to do. And of course, there's a conflict with what the teacher is saying. So a lot of people started to leave the place, because it's a, they don't find it a pleasant place to practice, and they don't find it conducive. Not many people could handle that situation because he very, very strict rules. So then, after this whole thing is over, when my teacher managed to find a way to get this monk evicted, one Malaysian student of his asked him, So, Siadol, at that time, were you angry? Ah? He asked him, This period of difficulty lasted for a long time, maybe about at least a year, you know. And so he asked him, so at that time were you angry? He looked at him and said, no cause. (laughs) He didn't tell him, Say no. He said there was no cause for it. How to be angry when there's no cause for anger? He said there's no cause. So there was an anger, but he realized that this situation is, he could do something about it, something that he should find a way. That's what he can do. But getting angry over it was not something that's within his mind. There is no reason for him to get angry, so anger could not arise. In fact, when there were lesser and lesser people going there, then he had a lot of time for himself. So sometimes he's walking and having a lot of time, a lot of free time for himself. A thought arose in his mind, Nice! (laughs) You know, it's a kind of, hmm, this is also okay. He didn't have a problem with it. Because simply there's no cause. When we don't have a problem with something, we don't have to try not to have the problem. We don't have to try to not think about it, even try to ignore it or pretend that it's not there. We just don't have a problem with it. There's no cause to suffer. So the thing to be abandoned is not the suffering itself, but where it's coming from. If that is not there, then suffering simply cannot arise. It's just like if you were to plant a seed on a pile of cement, no earth, and if you plant a insert a coconut seed <laughs> or mango seed into it, do you expect it to grow into a mango tree? It wouldn't. Because there's no cause for it. So what we need to abandon is the origin or the cause of suffering. If that's not there, then you don't suffer. In order for us to abandon that, we need to see what it is in the first place. Sometimes we feel so unhappy, and we don't understand it. We don't see what's the cause. And so we don't get to be free. Or maybe you see a cause, but you got the wrong cause. He, lo, he made me unhappy. Lo. Yesterday I was teaching meditation down there. We meditated for an hour, and another hour we have for discussion. So this matter came up, you know, asking this woman, you know, when you argue with your husband and then you start to feel unhappy, you know, you know what's the cause of it? He la! <laughs> Very fast, immediately I said, yeah, that's correct, that's correct. Normally people think like that. <laughs> but that's not the truth. It's correct, but it's not true. <laughs> so if you think somebody is the cause of our unhappiness, and that solves your problem, okay, fine. But does that solve your problem? Does that free you from the suffering? Well, I think you know that for yourself. Ultimately, really, it's here. If you think that we can fix somebody else, fix something to solve our unhappiness, at most, that could be just a temporary thing, and you can reduce the unhappiness to some extent. But in the long run, it doesn't work. Like that unhappiness of losing something. Oh so I lose something and unhappy, so get another one. Now. Okay, that might make you feel a bit better. But you know, if you had suffered a lot, you have been very, very unhappy over the loss of something, the next time you're going to be afraid of losing it. If there's any thought of losing it occurs to your mind, you'd be very, very scared. Because the mind would remember that was no good, that was very, very bad, that was very unhappy. And you would try whatever you can to get what you want or hold on to what you want. So there's really, really no end. Because whatever we get is going to go someday. So if you really, 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 really want to be free, then the cause of suffering or the origin of suffering that is craving will have to be abandoned. And when we talk about giving up, letting go, a lot of people misunderstand I think, I don't think your monk can let go. I know I need to have a family, I need to have a house, I need to have children. How to let go? cannot let go, mama, hold on. Wait, wait, wait. I don't mean get rid of your wife. I don't mean get rid of your house and go shave your head and become a monk. That's not what I mean. The thing to let go of is not the physical things. The thing to let go of is something within. It is a clinging. Well, Craving and clinging, these two are closely related. Clinging is conditioned by craving. This is the thing to let go of. It's all within here. And so in order to be able to let go, you need to recognize that there is craving or there is clinging. You need to be able to see it and not just guess that you are craving. One time I was having a discussion with someone, a long-time Buddhist, and said, Oh, life, uh, a lot of suffering. Uh. Then I asked So what's the cause of your suffering in your life? Say, craving lah. So what are you craving for? He didn't have an answer. He's just repeating what he heard before. What's the cause of suffering? Craving. Why you say so? Because the monk says so. End of story. That's not understanding craving. You need to understand it directly. You need to see it, that it's actually happening. That it's a craving or there's a clinging. And knowing, understanding directly, is as real as to touch it. When I touch something, I need to think, to understand it. I already know it, right? I don't have to figure it out. That is the right direct understanding. If I'm not touching this thing, I'm just looking at it, I'm trying to figure out how it would feel if I touch it. And I may be very accurate about it, but that's still not it. I still don't really, really understand. I'm just guessing. So sometimes when you report to me and I ask you why this one, I think uh, is this one. Good? I tell you, don't guess. Guessing is not understanding. Guessing is guessing. And sometimes people say, although they say I think, but they actually saw. But I just want to be making sure, want to set them on the right path. See, Thinking is not it. Guessing is not what it's all about. We want to know it directly. When I say understanding, it's not about figuring out. It's about really being in contact with it. And because we're in contact with it, we know it directly, what this is. Since craving is something that the mind does, and craving is something that mind can understand. It's all happening in the mind. You can get rid of a wife and you're still craving. (laughs) So now let me go to the Third Noble Truth. The Eternal Truth is the cessation of dukkha, the cessation of suffering, or cessation of stress, or unhappiness, or unsatisfactoriness, no matter what word you want to use for that. It is any kind of unhappiness, any kind of stress. The Buddha defined this as the giving up, the letting go, the renunciation of what? Of that very craving that was mentioned earlier. Because of that, letting go of the craving, and therefore there is the cessation of suffering. It's just a natural thing. You don't have to try to be happy. You don't have to try to make yourself feel good. Trying to be happy, trying to make yourself feel good, that's just another form of suffering. Trying to feel good. But when you don't have suffering, you don't have to be trying to feel good anymore, do you? Why do we want to feel good in the first place? Because we're not happy. That's why we're trying to make ourselves feel happy. But if you don't have any cause for unhappiness, then you don't feel unhappy. What need is there to try to feel good? Because it's just there's no need anymore. So it is about this giving up. And naturally, there is no stress or no suffering. And you can call that happiness. Here, I'm not talking about happy feelings but simply the happiness of having no suffering. And the Buddha gave an instruction for this one too. He says that this cessation, this noble truth of the cessation of stress, of dukkha, is to be attained. satchikita But this word, satchikita it comes from sakkim karoti. Karoti is due, sakkim is witness. So noun... For witness. You can also take it to mean to witness. To witness the cessation of stress. In a way that makes sense too. Because the cessation of stress is not something that we can do, but it is something that happens. It happens when suffering is fully understood. It happens. So you kind of being a witness of it, as one of I've been telling you, you know, just watch. Many people have reported to me that when the mind lets go, they notice that they didn't try to let go. But letting go happens. And it happens because there is understanding. There's understanding about this suffering and how the mind holds on and how all these things just not worth it and it's willing to give up, it's, there's a complete understanding of it. It sees that whatever gratification that you have about it is nothing, it's not worth the disadvantages of this clinging, this holding on. And therefore it sees all that and gives up. So it's that seeing, that knowing, that enables that giving up. When you notice that, it's just like, I didn't do anything. It just happened. But you have done Everything that needs to be done. It's just like bearing off a fruit. When you plant a tree, you do everything that you can do for the tree and the tree bears fruit. You don't make the tree bear fruit. It happens on its own. Flower come out and the fruit come out. That's all just nature happening. You just need to just put in the right conditions. When the conditions are right, the results will happen. So in that way, besides translating it as to be attained, you can also translate it as to be witnessed. So that's all for today. I'm not going to speak about the last part because that will take even longer time for today. So any question? Mante, could you please explain what you mentioned in a discussion, the difference between understanding and seeing Dukkha? could you please elaborate on that? When I say understanding Dukkha, I do mean seeing Dukkha. Letting go happens when you have that kind of understanding. When we say see here, is of course we are not talking about a visual object, we are not talking about using the eyes to see. It's like something like when people explain something to you and say, oh, I see, that kind of understanding. And I don't mean to say that intellectual kind of understanding is not useful, but understanding that allows the letting go is this direct seeing. Okay? So are you saying that understanding and that seeing is the same? Yes, yes. Or you could say knowing, a direct knowing. Okay, I think that's all.